Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash picture lock. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. This week I talk with Sarah Bunting, the founder of Tomato Nation and fellow film critic, We talk about how she stumbled into film and TV reviewing in the age of dial-up. I also talk with Nicole Franklin, co-writer and director of Title VII, a film focused on same-race discrimination in the workplace and so much more. If you're listening or subscribe to the podcast, you'll get to hear mine and PictureLock contributor Richie Winsler's thoughts on the latest Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse trailer, that dropped earlier this week. I'll also read the responses from Picture Lock's question of the week from last week. But first, I had to talk with Richie about two films in theaters this weekend, Won't You Be My Neighbor and Hereditary. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. This is Destin Thompson, former film critic at the Washington Post, and you are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. And out this weekend, we have... It's actually a pretty good weekend for the movies. We got Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is the documentary from Morgan Neville, and Hereditary, which is directed by Ari Aster. I was fortunate enough to have Picture Lock contributor Richie Wensler go out, check out these films, and cover them. You'll be able to read his reviews on PictureLockShow.com right now. But I have Richie here on the show to talk about the films. Richie, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you for having me. Man, thank you for covering these films. So let's jump into no it. Won't You Be My Neighbor? What were your thoughts on that, Doc? Well, I thought that Won't You Be My Neighbor was a thoughtful and celebratory documentary about the impact Mr. Rogers had alongside with the series Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's that good of a documentary married that I will that I wouldn't be surprised if if I next year's Oscar you'll see it as one of the best documentary nominees. Wow, that that's saying a lot. So, just in terms of like kind of what the the documentary covers for those that are wondering, and for those like me that are kind of nostalgic uh, to you know Fred Rogers, like I can remember him putting on the sweaters, changing the shoes, all that good stuff. Um, what what will people see when they go to see this film? When you go see this film, um, it's it's more it's more in depth and it talks more about uh, his show and what he was trying to achieve with 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 the show that he created. So it, it was cool and interesting to see how for a guy like Mr. Rogers, he would talk to the kids in an impactful way, but he wouldn't uh, speak speak down to them. He would talk to them uh, as if to relate to them, and he would use puppets and go to like fancy lands to try to relate to all like the big subjects that were happening around the time just so that that the kids could could know what's what's going on and whatnot wow that's pretty awesome so it's more of like a, a lift back 
you know, pulling the curtain back so that we can kind of see how he created the show and the things that went on. What's your rating for the film? I would give what what you be my neighbor an A minus, and when you go into the theater, bring bring some tissues with you as well. <laughs> That's what it looks like from the trailer. So maybe on the flip side, instead of crying, you're probably gonna be screaming. Hereditary. Let us know what were your thoughts of that film. Well, without trying to spoil what happens in in Hereditary, um, I think it's probably the best whole film that I've seen in theaters in a long time. And if you if, if you like the films that A twenty four puts out, they have another winner for you this weekend with with Hereditary. You know, it's one of those things where uh, if A two four is putting the film out, I, you know. If even if I don't see it, I know that it's gonna build some buzz. I know that it's gonna be good. They they get it right every time. Um, so far from all the reviews I've seen, like everybody is just talking about how this is phenomenal writing, phenomenal direction, phenomenal acting, and you thought so as well for the star, right? Yes, I think that this could be uh, Tony Collette's finest hour as an actress, and some of the scenes that she performs in in the film are probably. In my opinion, so far this year, probably some of the best scenes you will see in a theater. And and I would not be surprised if she has some award discussions uh, centered around her by yields end. Wow. So it seems like this is an Oscar-winning weekend, or at least Oscar-nominated films and, and stars and everything. Uh, so, Richie, just for Hereditary, um, you know, what's your rating on that one? I would give Hereditary a B plus. Awesome. All right, folks, so you heard it first here. Richie definitely is giving a positive review for both Hereditary and Won't You Be My Neighbor. Richie, uh, outside of Picture Lock, where can folks uh, check out some of your writing? Uh, outside Picture Lock, if you want to, I won a little review blog post called Up Up in the Balcony. And then um, on Facebook, you can find me at Richie Winslow. Or on Twitter, you can find me at the Mr. Richard. It's T-H-E-M-R Richard. Awesome. Richie Winsler, appreciate you covering these films for Pitch Glock. No, no, no problem. Glad, glad I, can, I can help out. Hey, everyone. This is Ben Kendrick. Screen Ramp Managing Editor, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and my next guest is an American blogger and journalist, co-founder of Television Without Pity, East Coast editor of Previously.TV, and the founder of Tomato Nation. I'm really excited to have Sarah Bunting on the line with me. Sarah, welcome to Picture Lock. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a delight. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Sarah, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, I am not sure that fall in love is exactly the right term. It was sort of this, um, I don't think I realized it was happening. <laughs> Although I guess love is like that a lot of the time. But um, I used to babysit for uh, family friends of ours, and they had, as everyone had in this era, um, long ago, before fun was invented, uh, every family had those uh, super long play VHS tapes with like two or three movies on there that they taped off of TV or like pirate HBO <laughs> or right. wherever they got them. And um, our family friends had this videotape with they had three movies on it, and there was one in the middle that I always skipped over, and I don't, I don't, I don't even remember what it is. 
But the first one was Breaking Away, which is the about the cycle race in um, in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, starring Dennis Quaid, Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, same director as Bullet, I found out today. So if you've never watched that, check it out. Mm. Um, and then the, the last movie was Diner, which is Barry Levinson um, directed it. It was the first one of his Baltimore trilogy. Uh, there was something about those movies and the the world that they created that I, as a sort of um, morose, anxious, poetry scribbling teenager, which I realize doesn't exactly <laughs> set me apart, <laughs> because that's you know American adolescence, I think, for a lot of people. But that I could step sideways into these into these worlds and feel transported for a couple of hours out of my, you know, mundane or frustrating reality was really a revelation. And uh, I think I still own that tape. I borrowed it from our friends and just never got around to giving it back. It may still work. Uh, so <laughs> I'll have to go down to the Smithsonian and find the one remaining VCR in the country and check it out sometime. And also right. remember what I like. I wish I remembered what the middle movie was. I think it was some, ridiculous like c-list michael douglas thriller i don't i don't remember but um yeah i'll call back in if i figure it out but i think that's where i think that's where i fell in love with with film and with just its power to like just improve your life and and give you a break from your own life for a while Right, exactly. I think that that's always uh, the the power that I'm fascinated with, and and the, the reason that I even enjoy being behind the camera is that you're able to take people to a different story. And like one of the things I always love to say, in terms of like definitely for actors, you could all only be yourself in this lifetime, right? But as an actor, you can like live out all these different lives. And I feel like it's the same thing with films and TV. Like we're able to see these different stories. I guess it's kind of the voyeur voyeurist uh, in us all. But Sarah, if you could, just for the audience, I love to get breaking in stories. So could you kind of just tell, like, how how did you go from being the girl babysitting and doing the eternal borrow on VHS tapes <laughs> to, <laughs> to becoming, uh, you know, a film critic and vlogger? Well, um, I graduated at a time where, um, from college, at a time where there were just, like, no jobs, period. Like, it wasn't as bad as the 2008 downturn, but it was, like, it was the previous downturn to that. And, you know, like, nobody was hiring, um, especially for what I did. Like, I wrote for one of the college papers, but it was, like, the alternative weekly that was always getting in trouble for having swears in the headline on the back page. <laughs> and uh, so people were not lining up to, to hire that necessarily. <laughs> right. So, but then the internet was just sort of starting. Um, I mean, you know, it wasn't still like ARPANET or anything, but it wasn't something most people had at home. And you definitely had to run it on, on dial up for sure. Um, my uh, my site, Television Without Pity, the first, like, six months that we ran that, that was a, you know, fairly sizable concern that I was running off of 56K connection. Kids, ask your parents. But um, it was just like I, I couldn't get hired to write anywhere in print, but I had all these thoughts and all these, like, funny stories that 
I used to crack my friends up with that had nothing to do with like reviewing film or TV, but were like, this is what it was like to have to sell Girl Scout cookies in my neighborhood and face off against my best friend. And like, there was this one house where they would only buy one box a year and who can get there first. So that's sort of how it started that it was just like, well, no one's really reading this. And then one person found it and then five people were reading it. And then 12 people were reading it. And then occasionally I started doing um, TV reviews as one of my weekly columns. And then it just kind of went from there, meeting other people on the internet, meeting my current uh, work spouse, Tara Ariano, and deciding that we would like to have a whole website making fun of Dawson's Creek and then expanding to other shows. So it just kind of did itself. Like I never set out to be either a, critic or a writer generally it was just kind of the one thing that I could do even a little (laughs) and like no one was no one was paying me to like I mean I'm also really good at like rescuing geraniums that are almost dead (laughs) but no one's no one's paying for that and I am a total brown thumb and no one's paying no one's paying for that um pretty good parallel parker they might have paid for that Mm, I didn't I didn't pursue it so it was almost an accident but uh, you know, I make jokes all the time that this is no way for a, a grown-up to make a a living, but it's, I mean, it's actually pretty great because even in a very sort of divisive or divided time in uh, in the nation and the world, there like, you can always talk to somebody about Empire and how they're just outraged at how soapy it's gotten or whatever. Like, being a critic means that you're in the conversation where everybody is coming together instead of being on opposite sides so that's a nice thing (laughs) justify my existence for you thanks for paying for college dad it wasn't a total waste oh man it's picture lock i'm your host kevin sampson and i'm talking to a woman who understands that it's way better to wait for your Wi-Fi connection to get a review up than dial up. It's the founder of <laughs> Tomato Nation, Sarah Bunting. Uh, Sarah, you know, I, 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 I say that in jest because, you know, we were talking about VHSs, which I remember, and, you know, even dial up in that AOL tone. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> but but you, you established Tomato Nation in 97. If you could, for the audience... Um, what is Tomato Nation all about? Um, Tomato Nation, I, I call it the last generalist site on the internet um, because I like I had an advice column. I write about baseball. I um, write about like you know politics, news headlines, trying to sell Girl Scout cookies, and you know <laughs> contested territory. So you know Sharon always won. <clears throat> Uh, but pretty much everything that was that was on my mind. So that I mean, I started it for that reason. And it was like, well, nobody's going to buy these stories, but I need to tell them. So I'm going to start a little. I used to have a Sprynet account. This is this is going back a mm. minute. <laughs> and, uh, and they had a free service, and then it kind of evolved from there. Um, it is called Tomato Nation because I have a tattoo of a tomato on my bicep because I'm from New Jersey and one month a year we have the best tomatoes in the world. Florida, don't at me. Um, <laughs> so that, that's the origin of the, the name. Um, 
please note, not the same as Rotten Tomatoes, an extremely fine outfit uh, that I read all the time but did not found. People always accidentally give me credit for it and uh, can't take it. But, um, yeah, it's it was just like a – it's a different world on the Internet uh, 20 years later. I think that it's much more specific and niche, and you have to have sort of a subhead at the top of your – site and be mobile optimized and when i started out it was like well like most people don't have internet anyway so let me just throw this up and and see you know and see if anyone comes to read it and like i watched gi jane and i have these thoughts about it and feminism and then 20 years later here we are i love it um and one of the things I want to do is also transition into talking a little bit about Previously.TV, which I think, so, you know, whereas Tomato Nation can kind of give you baseball, the uh, advice column, which actually I, I find your work there is really honest and in some ways kind of funny, but it's a little, it's like, it's not your mom's dear Abby, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> but uh, could you talk about Previously.TV? And I'm sorry, but like I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm looking at this one article that's like, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, Can't Lose versus Keenan and Kel's theme song. Um, I, I just love that. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is some cool stuff. So, yeah, if you could, talk a little bit about Previously.TV. Uh, well, my uh, partners, Tara Ariano and David T. Cole, uh, we all co-founded Television Without Pity uh, way back in the day. And then that property was sold uh, to Bravo, also fairly far back in the day. And uh, we got the band back together a few years ago. We just wanted to do TV commentary um, that was not necessarily Television Without Pity was all about recaps. And we didn't want to do that again because they're extremely time consuming. And it seemed like the Internet was kind of moving away from that. Not so much as it as it turns out. But we wanted to do like, you know, just the little things that you notice about TV. The uh, thing that you mentioned was a, a poll that we used to do every day. It was called King of TV Things Mountain. And we'd uh, we'd have like key TV objects like. I don't know, the chick and the duck from Friends versus Bart writing on the blackboard on The Simpsons, stuff like that. And people would get really intense about these matchups. And, like, anytime you put something Golden Girls in there, it would just win for, like, two weeks straight. And people <laughs> would get really upset that their Doctor Who um, items were not, were not winning. But, yeah, we just wanted to pull out, like, the littler things or focus very tightly on particular moments from a recent show, um, we wanted to go back into vintage TV. Like, I watched the entire series run of In Search Of, which was that show with Leonard Nimoy. May he rest as the host, just talking about, like, biorhythms and UFOs and did the mm. Mayans invent the Internet and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, I watched the entire thing. It was hilarious and at times brutal. But our, our feeling was there's a ton of TV um, and some of it is good and some of it is direct, but people really feel strongly about it, regardless of whether it's Real Housewives or The Leftovers or whatever people are into. If if we and our writers feel strongly about a given topic, then people will respond to it or be encouraged to seek it out. So that was kind of our 
that was kind of our, um, not mantra, but that was our raison d'etre, I guess, was let's talk about TV, like really talk about it the way we talk about it to each other, to our friends at lunch or what have you. Let's not necessarily be stuck in the recap format, which, you know, we did very well with the recap format and God bless all the other recappers out there in internet land. We know how difficult and time consuming they are to do, Mm -hmm. but previously, (laughs) he says wearily, previously.tv is a little more um, free form. Uh, We have shifted more to podcasts uh, in the last year, I'm going to say, because unfortunately the ad landscape is always evolving and so must the content creator. Um, But we have a lot of podcasts that you might like if you enjoy Westworld, if you enjoy the latest in true crime TV, if you enjoy Beverly Hills 90210, perhaps enjoy, it's not the correct word. <laughs> uh, my co-host and I are currently slogging through season eight of 90210 and uh, Grim <laughs> does not even begin <laughs> yeah. to describe it. But, uh, you know, we've been thinking uh, about TV and talking uh, to each other about TV for a long time and uh, we like to, you know, have a conversation about it, but then also invite listeners and readers to be part of it because that's the fun of the internet and, frankly, of TV here in 2018. Is you know, I'm going to watch this garbage fire SVU episode. I'm going to feel extremely strong bad things about it, and I'm going to go to Twitter and talk about it. And uh, at Tomato Nation is right there for you because this season. It's been so terrible. <laughs> Listeners, please, p- please talk to me about it. We can all get through this together. <laughs> you know what? Um, I, real quick, I just say you're, you're listening to Pick Shock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the East Coast editor of Previously.TV, Sarah Bunting. Um, Sarah, one, que- one more question before we kind of wrap up on the interview here. Uh, there's so much TV out right now and 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 one there's maybe i have to ask two questions okay uh so you know (laughs) in the time since you've actually been kind of writing and commenting on movies and tv right like our landscape has changed so now you can watch cable although a lot of people are turning in their cable boxes and you know just watching it the next day on hulu or watching stuff on netflix and, you know, you got your HBOs and all the different premium TV channels. But even that, you can watch uh, online and just buy those packages. Um, so if you could just comment really quickly maybe on uh, the ever-changing landscape of how we consume this media. And then the question that I really wanted to ask you is, like, what are your must-watch watches right now? Like, what is it that the the couple series maybe that you're just, like, heavy into that, like, you can't like not catch the live broadcast of. All right. I'll, I'll take the first one first. Um, you see this periodically from other critics, like uh, the great Alan Seppenwall, the great Maureen Ryan occasionally will talk on Twitter or in their columns about just like, even we critics who get screeners and in theory should be able to stay on top of all of this stuff. Even we are drowning uh, to in good TV to the point where sometimes there's a series that, like, you start it, 
to review it, and you think to yourself, that was pretty good. It was like a B, like a strong B, like an 86, but I just don't have time for a strong B. Like, mm. either it, it really has to be this, like, extremely watchable and frustrating and compelling C- minus that everybody is talking about on Twitter, or it has to be A-plus, gold standard, first ballot, Hall of Fame, Sopranos level, and there's just no, there's just no time. Like the, the portion of my to-do list, it's like, I have to get back to X series that I just dropped and it's been stacking up on my DVR. It's like three pages long yeah. and I just don't know when I'm going to dig out. Uh, and I kind of miss the days when around this time of year, like May 15th, May 22nd, TV just went away for three months and you could rest. And, like, just do silly stories about real-world marathons on MTV. Now there is no break. There are no seasons. It is just a barrage. Right. But it's, I mean, it's great. And it's so portable. Like, if you had told me that I could bring um, 13 Reasons Why to, with me to the post office and, <laughs> like, enjoy waiting in line while while watching this series that was really something new and dark and interesting, uh, even 10 years ago, I would not have believed you. Then again, I was like, video iPod, nobody's going to buy that, so what do I know? But I, I think net, it's good. It can make it a little harder to, I've always said that it's a, you know, this is a great job to have at cocktail parties because never like you never lack for small talk mm -hmm. even people who are like well, i don't watch tv like they you know they do they and know they, they know things that or they they have in the past right and i have a you know i have a deep bench in terms of my references <laughs> so it, it can be a little splintered and not everybody is watching the same things or watching them at the same time and sometimes people are very sensitive about spoilers so that can be a little tricky but I just wish there were more hours in the day. I mean, I also, like, I used to read books, I'm told, by my parents. Uh, that seems like a distant memory because I don't have time. Right. <laughs> Can someone who's on the TV just read me this book? That would be <laughs> It's definitely, I think it's definitely changed for, like, as a critic, and you feel a lot of guilt sometimes about dropping shows that you, quote, should be watching instead of being current on America's Next Top Model, but America's Next Top Model came back and is pretty good again. So my advice to everyone is don't feel don't feel guilt or prestige TV shame. If you look at The Handmaid's Tale and you decide you just don't have it in you emotionally and you'd rather watch Real Housewives, I've been there. I was there yesterday. It's okay. But like, just embrace it. It's true. It's like sometimes I'm not ready for a Black Mirror episode or I've I've recently Leah, what's it, Remy, the the um Scientology AMC or A and E series. I I talked to my wife, we were we've been watching it and I'm just like I can only watch one of these per day, like at night. And then I gotta switch it over to growing up hip hop, like something mindless, you know, like just to, mm -hmm. and and so yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where like sometimes you want the you want the really good stuff, and then sometimes you just wanna kind of be entertained by some mindless stuff. 
But um, go yeah. ahead. If you could, like, yeah, what is what is on your DVR or the thing that, like, even better, you don't actually DVR. You're like, I got to see this live. Well, they said this is not this is not either, but uh, the Good Fight, which is the Good Wife spinoff that is only on the CBS streaming service. Um, they send me screeners, and I will just stop everything to make sure that I've watched that first, what, like at least when it has aired, that I've I've seen it because I find that show like it's gorgeous to look at. There's a ton of strong women in it. There's a lot of swears. I love it. And uh, it's it's just a really good, I think my problems with The Good Wife mostly had to do with The Good Wife. Like the Alicia character was kind of a problem. Now she's gone. And I'm really, I'm really enjoying that show. And it's really smart, chewy writing that's not afraid to name names and take a position on things. I do want, I do watch Law and Order SVU live mostly because like most of my Twitter feed is also watching it at the same time. And the jokes aren't funny on Thursday morning. If you know, you're just, if right. you're just getting back to it. But I also love watching those reruns as, as comfort food, which is really says something horrible about me that <laughs> this show about a sex crime unit. I'm right. like, oh, <laughs> it's the fuzzy pajamas of TV. Like, not really. I love that entire, uh, that entire law and order franchise. And I'll watch any of those at any time. But, um, yeah, Homeland is another one that the show is not what it once was, and actually it's just kind of bonkers. They'll really do anything on that show, but th- then they do. They really will do anything, and it's, like, very exciting, and I try to make sure that I've watched that as soon as, um, as close to airtime as possible. And then I have a couple of reality shows still in the rotation, like RuPaul's Drag Race. I like to watch that live or as close to it. Uh, as possible and um, as far as scripted stuff is concerned uh, TNT this is like a funny thing I never would have predicted this either because I think they tried to do a couple dramas like five years ago it didn't really work out but they have both Claws which is about the nail salon Dixie Mafia folks in uh, northern Florida and Animal Kingdom uh, which is based on the Australian movie from a few years ago, and it's about this uh, criminal like family in Southern California. Um, they're both excellent. They're both back this summer, and I'm busy reviewing uh, the previous seasons of those shows so that I can be caught up. I think those shows are definitely appreciated by critics, but not not necessarily... I think civilians don't necessarily know about them or that they're any good because of where they are on the dial and that this is not something that this network is necessarily known for doing well, but they really have a gift for the crime dramedy. There's some excellent acting and I'm very excited for uh, Claws and Animal Kingdom to come back. So those are my recommendations. But like I said before, if you're like, I just can't, I just can't add another, you know, prestige thing to the lineup. I don't have the mental headspace. What what can I watch that's light and fluffy? Um, that's fine too. I mean, TV is supposed to TV is supposed to improve your life. So d- watch what watch what you feel. Uh, even critics have to remind themselves of that from time to time. And 
and it's it's important. It's it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and a bunch of those that you just listed, like Claws, me and uh, the wife, we love that one. And I know she was she was a big like Good Wife fan. And uh, I kind of, I would watch it with her, but then I eventually fell off. So I, I know she'll be, I know she's been um, talking about actually getting into the spinoff. So I, I'll have to re-recommend that. Um, it's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the founder of Tomato Nation, as well as the East Coast editor of Previously.TV, Sarah Bunting. Sarah, uh, in closing, if you could let the audience know how they can follow your work online as well as follow you on social media sure um the website and my uh, personal twitter account are both tomato nation that's tomato like the vegetable uh botanically it isn't fruit don't at me nation like a country all one word that's tomato nation uh and again that's where i am on twitter as well um the tv site and all of our various podcast commentary are on previously dot TV, uh, and you can follow that on Twitter at Previously TV. And uh, we would love to have you join the discussion in both places. We're always uh, happy to talk about TV, movies, baseball, Girl Scout cookies, whatever you got. <laughs> uh, we're always open to it. And uh, Kevin, thank you so much for having me. This has really been a lot of fun. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Let's take a quick break for promos. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody, I appreciate everyone that listens to the Picture Lock podcast. And for you, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you're like me, then it's been a while since you've sat down and read a book, but it hasn't been long since you listened to a podcast. In fact, you're listening to one right now. Why? Because you're able to be entertained, informed, or educated on the go. That's kind of how I like my books as well. With Audible.com, I can listen to Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces or Robert McKee's story when I'm in the mood for learning about the craft or Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point when I'm trying to learn how to be a better influencer. The point is, a wealth of knowledge is at your fingertips. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash picture lock for a free 30-day trial. It's that easy. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash picture lock for a free 30-day trial to Audible. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. Hi, this is Leslie Komal. I am founder of Cinema Siren and owner of Art Insights Animation and Film Art Gallery, and you're listening to Picture Lock. Keep listening.
So this week is a mix of old and new. I'm going to start bringing back my trailer reaction segment because, well, the jingle half made is awesome and I haven't played it in a while. I want to hear it again. <laughs> and after posting my reaction to This Is America on YouTube, a viewer commented on just asking if I did trailer reaction. So, you know, I said I need to bring this back. Also, last week, I implemented the picture lock question of the week, which was, which summer blockbuster are you most looking forward to seeing? It's my fault because I posed the question on social media like the day before recording this. So I, I got to give a big shout out to my one answer from Cam Mixed, who responded on Instagram. He said Incredibles 2. I am totally in agreement on that. I can't wait to see it. And I've heard that it's a great sequel. So check out cam mixed on instagram it's it's just at c-a-m-m-i-x-e-d cam mixed thanks cameron now take it away hef All right, folks, so if you heard that jingle, then, you know, this, I, I'm bringing this back. I'm going to start talking about some of these trailers. Uh, I was talking with Richie this morning, and he put me on to the fact that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse trailer just dropped. I just watched it, uh, so I, I'm keeping Richie on. <laughs> Richie, what did you think of the trailer? I absolutely love the trailer. Like, I cannot, cannot wait to see this animation and I cannot wait to see the storyline play play out on the big screen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so uh, my, my initial reaction, I mean, it definitely has a lot of energy. Um, it feels different, um, but it, I had, I probably laughed out loud three times at least throughout the, the trailer. Um, I, I do love actually the animation um, and the the illustration of it. it, it almost looks like you're looking at like a a 3D movie, like what 3D movies like when you don't put on the the glasses. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, like you can see what it is and focus. But I just I love the animation, and you know, this is obviously Miles Morales kind of coming into uh, his own and starting to learn like that he has powers and what that means and that there's other spider men and women, as you can see from the trailer. Um, but my initial reaction is, yeah, this definitely looks, it looks awesome. It looks like it's uh, going to be action-packed. I, I think the only thing that I kind of am fearful of is, you know, this is, this is animated, and, um, y you know, I'm wondering how we're going to switch from, you know, we've been watching all the Avengers films and everything that's like live to now like this animated film on the big screen. What do you think about that? Well, as uh, you say, I think my my the only thing that I'm, that I'm hesitant about is that this is tech, technically this will basically be the a third Spider-Man story up on the big screen this year because so we saw him in Infinity War. You have a Spider-Man character with Venom coming out in the fall, and then you have and then you have this coming out during Christmas time. I'm I'm wondering 
if if people all go be confused about whether or not like all three of these films will be taking place at the same time, are they the same timeline or whatnot? But but I think for 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 so far, I think Sony has done a good job in visually showcasing how different this movie is compared to the other films. And as you said, I think the animation looks great, and it just looks like that that Sony has translated a comic book and and brought it brought it to life up 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 on the big screen. So it's 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 something that. When I first heard, heard, heard about it, I was definitely like intrigued and curious about how 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 they could pull it off. But but after seeing these trailers, I think if they could do the marketing just right, I think that this could be a a big um, a big hit during the during the Christmas time for families. Yeah, know? yeah, most definitely. And it, and what I love is the the like kind of final frames of it says only on the big screen Christmas. And so, one, that lets me know, like, this is, you know, it's not going to be on Netflix. It's not going to be on the small screen at first. You're going to be able to see it on the big screen as films should be seen. And Christmas time, automatically, I'm thinking that's a winner for the kids. As long as they, you know, nail uh, the storyline, the the voice acting, and all that kind of stuff. Because, like I said, the graphics just look amazing i think this will be a hit so yeah that's uh initial trailer of spider-man into the spider-verse i definitely say i am uh excited to see this film yep and i i would say i'll probably one up you say that they that they always took took my money already (laughs) (laughs) nice oh man well richie thanks for sticking around for that man i appreciate it no problem Hi, this is Mariette Montpierre, the director of Caribbean Girl NYC, and we are listening to Picture Lock. Merci beaucoup. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and she's powerful, black, and female, but at her firm, blacks need not apply. That's the logline for the film Title Seven, and that's about all I need to be interested in the film. I have the co-writer, <laughs> director on the line, Nicole Franklin. Nicole, welcome to Picture Lock. Kevin, thank you. Hi, Picture Lock crowd. Hello. <laughs> Honored to be here. I love it. I love it. Uh, Nicole, the first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Oh, probably when I was right out of infancy that I fell in love with film. <laughs> um, films are, um, you know, film stories. And I love storytelling. I love being told stories. And I consider myself a professional storyteller. So I um, still was always going to be a part of that that um, that idealism that I had when I was growing up on, what do you want to be? Well, I want to tell stories. And it really, first, I wanted to be in stories. So I was an actress growing up and a dancer, and I played piano. So I was a performer uh, all throughout high school as well. And when I went to college, I said, hey, I need a backup plan. And instead of going into accounting or medicine, uh, <laughs> um, it was, oh, I think I could be a producer, you know. That's a Just good backup. Volatile. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good backup. Uh, my parents were definitely, like, super supportive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my parents were like, wait a minute. But, um, but they knew that I was never going to really leave the industry. So um, they actually were supportive. Although my dad told me until I was 27 years old, he's like, now, I'm really serious about you applying to law school. When is law school happening? <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always a good idea for, 
few undergrads out there. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I, I and like you said, uh, I think my parents definitely were um, supportive. You know, once they figured, okay, this this boy really loves film. Um, but my, there was a time where my dad was just like, computer science, computer science, it's the future. <laughs> so, it makes sense. Yeah, you exactly. Know, you could have had a, a retirement plan and vacation time. Oh, I mean, it all <laughs> sounds lovely now, you know, 25 years later. So I'm like, uh, why did I do that? So right. I, I wouldn't give back any experience in the world that I've had so far. So. Well, if you could, just kind of give us your breaking-in story. So, you know, you went from, uh, you know, just kind of enjoying films leisurely to being um, an actress, a dancer, and then, like you said, you just wanted to take the craft seriously, so producing. If you could, just let us know your breaking-in in story in terms of getting into the film industry. Of course, yeah. I was an actress and dancer in the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and I went to school in Chicago. And so when I was in school... I went to the state school, by the way, um, and um, all my roommates were pre-med, engineering, architecture. It was like <laughs> nothing to do with the communications degree I was going after, but I also had an English minor, and my advisor in college told me, Nicole, um, what do you want to do? And I said, well, um, I think I should pursue being a producer so I can put on projects that I can be in one day, but also put on projects about my community I'm not seeing. He said, well, if you want to be a producer, you need to write, write, write. So from then on, the minute you told me that, I joined the school newspaper, I wrote for the marketing department, the sports marketing department, and then um, the school newspaper, we had a little dissension on, on the crew, and um, some of the, the writers said, hey, Nicole, come over here, we're forming our own newspaper, do you want to come with us? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not, cool. <laughs> so I was on the rebellious uh, newspaper at the time, and nice. um, we had a yeah, we had a column in it. My friend and I, and I'm black, and my friend's Polish, and so our column was called Salt and Pepper, Spice of Your Life. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so we were always writing. We were kind of like the gossip column, you know, of the campus. It was, you know, when we were doing the fun stuff, but the guys who were the the editors and you know really thought about rebelling really went after the administration of the school, too. So they were doing the hardcore stuff, and we were the nice girls. <laughs> 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 you know, so it was it was really an interesting contradiction, but we had a blast because, of, you know, those are friends for life, of course, forever. So I was doing all this writing, and I saw how it really organized your thoughts. Now, it's nonfiction, you know, unless we were like, totally, like, jazzing up somebody's, you know, credentials <laughs> for, you know, our gossipy ways there. But, um... It was more nonfiction and um, really laying out um, the plans and, and stories that we were telling, but it gets you organized and it doesn't make you afraid of when it comes that time when you're a filmmaker, we have to write a grant application, we have to write a treatment, we have to write a marketing plan. Because I wrote so much in college, this was second nature to me. So I'm the first one to say, hey, I'll just write up a draft, I'll have it to you tomorrow or sometime this week. And that is a big thing. It's a big deal with creative artists, you know, that they can't put those ideas down. Also, it brings clarity. So even if you're writing a script, a fictional script, you know, there's a lot of clarity that goes into, well, what is this story about? Where's the subtext? I still don't know what's going on with this character. And bringing in those writing skills really was the best advice. And I moved out to L.A. on a whim, but knew that I had that skill of editing. I said to my parents, I was like, you know what? I know how to edit. And I can work anywhere. <laughs> okay. <Well. laughs> I did. I, I, I edited news now for 27 years. 
Wow. I still do it on the weekends, and on the weekends I do it now for TBS Sunday morning. So it's, um, it's been a great ride. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking to the former editor of a little column called Salt and Pepper, now the co-writer director of <laughs> <laughs> Title Seven, Nicole Franklin. Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, Nicole, you know, kind of just going into Title Seven. Um, obviously, you know, you had a lot of experience through news editing, and I think that. When you're sitting behind the editor's chair, like you're able to really, that, that's the last leg of the story, right? So you got the story Absolutely. that you write, the story the that you shoot. And, write the story. Exactly. Um, so could you just talk a little bit about Title Seven, how that came across your desk, um, why you wanted to adapt it and film it? Yes, it is adapted from a wonderful book by a first-time author, Daisy M. Jenkins, who's a retired corporate attorney. And she sent me this book because um, I had done a, a documentary, a short documentary in her town of Tucson, Arizona. And so she's like, maybe she wants to read my book. And, um, and she sent it to me. And here's the deal. When you are working as a filmmaker, independent filmmaker, how you break into Hollywood is that you have to have a narrative feature out. Now, my first feature was a documentary feature on Double Dutch Show Pro years ago. Until then, I had been doing documentaries, short documentaries, and short narrative pieces. But it wasn't breaking me into Hollywood where I still thought, hey, I still want Disney to call me again or somebody to call me again, right? I can do a narrative feature. It's, you know, again, I'm getting older. Let's get it done. <laughs> and so when she sent me the book, I was like, I've got to shoot a micro budget, which means... To me, now, I've seen some figures. To me, it means less than $100,000 in one location. This mm. book um, really reflected something I had gone through, an experience of same-race discrimination at work. There was this one place where I interned. It was a PR company. It was in Chicago, actually. And it was an all-black firm, but this woman, <laughs> my supervisor, hated me. And I was an intern. I was only there for three months. Mm. So many people didn't want to see me there. I wasn't welcome. And it was, she did this all behind closed doors. So she'd open the door at 9 a.m. after just going off on me and here I was supposed to work the rest of the day in a very happy atmosphere but a lot of pressure and travel with the company, setting up events, and thinking no one liked me. And, and she did that on purpose. And it still stung when I read that in the book, Here Comes a Young Woman, and it's a character in the book, the Daisy's book, that goes to interview for this male CEO, and he was never going to hire her because she's black. He wanted his company all white. And I thought that was a really interesting take because she knew as soon as they connected in the office, there's something up with this brother, and I'm exposing him as a black man, even though I could see as a black man. He <laughs> just did not want to be reminded of that, right? Mm-hmm. And it just still struck me. 30 years later, I'm still feeling this, like, oh, my gosh, so then I said, wait a minute, this is in one location. These characters are great. I said, Daisy, can I option the book from you and, and turn it into a micro-budget? I have to fill a micro-budget. And she said, I knew it was supposed to be a movie. So, <laughs> so we got that done very quickly. It was all legal and things like that. And so I um, had been speaking, Black History Month, um, I gave a speech at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. And after I did that, the film chair who invited me to speak said, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, yeah, what's up? And he's like, whatever your next project is, will you hire our students? And actually, it's really, we're giving you the students to be full crew, no PAs, 
here are your crew. And I said, yeah, I think about doing a micro budget. He said, I'll throw in equipment and location. Nice. And I didn't pass it up. So I was like, here's our micro budget. And so we were going to film this in eight days that scared off two lead actors that I'd already booked and been talking to for a few months. They said, I don't know that you can do this in eight days, Nicole. And I um. You know what? I, I I don't I don't think I'll be able to do this with you. And I'm like left without a lead, two leads actually, a month before shooting. And then that's when um, and also I excuse me I had turned in a different script to them a month before shooting. They had been seeing the script with a male CEO, but my co-writer, co-screenwriter Craig T. Williams, who came on board, he flipped the script around and made it so that it really was something under 100000 He said, Nicole, you wrote, you wrote this script that's a $150,000 movie. You're trying to do for like $30,000. <laughs> he said, you know, what if this happened and this happened all in one day? And the urgency that brings up, you know, and the pressure cooker that that office could be, I said, I love it. I don't have time to write it. So he wrote it, and it was all in one day. And then at the last minute, he said, Nicole, something's just been really bothering me. And I told my wife about it. She's like, oh, my gosh, this would be great if you did that after. And he asked me, I was like, what is it? He's like, what if we made the CEO a woman? And the person coming to interview is a man. Mm. Everything stays the same. It just changes the dynamic of the room. You're a black woman director. Your director of photography is a black woman. Why not? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. They said, this is excellent. I love it. Let's do it. And so we flipped the script. Then we lost our two leads, and then one friend of mine from a very long time, uh, you know, a very long time, it's Chicago Honey Child, is who had contacted me when she found out the year before that I wanted to do a film, and she said, whatever film you do, I'd love to be in it. I'm like, look, I only have a role for one black woman in it. She's already cast. She's like, what kind of film is it called really with one black woman in it? <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that and the, the scripts are very dark and very risque, and that we have the, we have a nude scene, we have sex. Title VII is the uh, anti-harassment laws against all harassment in the workplace. I mean, it's against religious, you know, um, nation of origin, sex, racial discrimination. All of that's supposed to be under Title VII protections from 1964 Civil Rights Act. And as you see, we still need it today. And so all of that is in our film. And she was happy to take it on. She was not scared of it. It's a really, really bold performance like no other. And... Um, brought her in i mean she literally had three weeks time to pull it together and she makes the film i mean really and that's the entire cast they all had to be bad boys and girls <laughs> i think the actors really really enjoyed it because they all were violating title seven protectors <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out to be a comedy and very dark comedy because the audiences that see it in our festival runs they're just so nervous because they're listening to all of this they're like oh, my God, did that just happen? Did they just say this? What is going on? You know, why is his hand there? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And then, of course, you know, everyone discusses the bathroom scene, which is this crazy, crazy uh, raw scene that uh, my actors were just fantastic. We we just had a great time, and we did finish in eight days, and we wrapped every day by 6 o'clock and one day by 4.30. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> So, Nicole, you know, unfortunately, we're going to kind of have to bring the interview to a close, but I want to ask two questions. One, um, you know, it's a black and white film, and so I wanted to know yeah. why you chose to go with that aesthetic, 
And then two, um, just the subject matter of the film. If you could just talk, uh, you know, kind of briefly about why you think that it's so relevant and important for people to see today. Definitely. The black and white was a practical decision and a creative one. Um, uh, like BP had contacted me, here's why I should film black and white. I was like, oh my God, for the last two weeks I've been thinking, now I'm seeing this in black and white. I thought it more, more of black and white itself as a character. The film's about black and white. You know, you're talking about a black woman who does not want to hire any other black people in the audience. And then you have this dark reality of black and white with the film itself in addition to what we were seeing in the faces on screen. Um, my DP said, well, we have an inexperienced crew, meaning me, as the first-time director of the narrative, because we can move faster. The students, they are used to working together. So they were moving really fast, and they knew all the equipment, of course, is their equipment. So they were great. But um, we also were able to help out in case you had to light for a certain color and a certain tone and a mood. We were able to do that in a film noir aspect, which my DP really wanted to play with a lot. And she did excellent because there is all glass inside the office. So filming through glass, the black and white helped us. So in all, it just added so much to the tone. And even one audience member said, this is so dystopian. So that's all I could think about while I was watching it. And I really, really love that. And there we are as far as the why it's important. This is a dystopian time, actually, if we think about uh, where, we, have we hit bottom? You know, when, when are we going to hit bottom with these harassment allegations, convictions in some cases, uh, firing, or when is the bottom coming? And um, it's really a movement, uh, a huge milestone for many, many um, victims, and just... It's an interesting time. It's the end of an era of, of what you could do at work and get away with. And one audience member at a festival said, you know, did you have a crystal ball? I said, no, but when that book came, I think when that book came to me, I said, yeah, it struck me in a way. But then I was thinking about a title because the book title was within the laws. I wanted a different title. I said, you know, there must be a law pertaining to this. And when I saw the law, Title Seven from 1964, I knew our film would be relevant forever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, most definitely. And I think, like you said, you know, um, I I just find it fascinating because – there's so many different there's so many different things that people can extrapolate from this film but like you know for me as African American male you know I've been the only um, black person uh, you know on a staff and you know what that feels like Um, but then at the same time there is something that we all joke about but it is kind of true when you know another black person is on the staff and you're like wait wait a second I'm the only black person that's on this staff (laughs) and and, you know kind of like you know what that drums up um, and I, th- I think in so, so many ways there's, there's different things that you can talk about, whether it's, um, you know, class and, you know, gender mm-hmm. and, and so many things. So, um, you know, if you could. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, if you could, like, let people know how they can uh, follow the film, find out more or even see the film. Definitely. Well, we have a sales agent who um, will be working with us through May. So actually very soon we will have a distribution plan. In the meantime, please sign up with us at NicoleFranklin.com. It's my name, and I feel franklin.com And join our Facebook group, Nicole Films. And you will get a lot of updates. 
uh, we'll tell you if you've seen the film where to throw up a critique online. Rotten Tomatoes is preferred. Let people know what you think. Um, you'll see actually what others have thought. Um, shocking, uh, <laughs> challenging, dystopia, like we said. Um, the Chicago Sun Times called it bizarrely toned, and we love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It's different for a black film. It's different. Um, again, we want our storytelling to push um, the edge and then push the envelope. And um, I think we did it with that. But sign up with us. Be a part of our Title Seven Film family and follow us online with the hashtag Title Seven Film, and that's the seven with the Roman numeral seven. Title Seven Film, and you'll see us. Well, I've been talking with the co-writer and director of Title Seven, Nicole Franklin. Nicole, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, everyone. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Richie Winsler, Sarah Bunting, and Nicole Franklin for coming on the show. Be sure to catch up on back episodes of the podcast and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcasts. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock and tune in, and boom, you got me. <laughs> Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. I appreciate that. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Be sure to follow me on the Stardust app for my quick movie, TV, and trailer reviews. Just look up at Picture Lock Show and you got me again. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe because I'm about to post some new reviews. I, I, I haven't been able to keep up with it because, again, folks, I got a bunch of stuff that I'm trying to get accomplished all at once. But boy, oh boy, once it comes out, you're going to know. So I'm looking forward to doing some new movie reviews on YouTube. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out a form on the website. And this week's question of the week. I wanted to go old school, a bit nostalgic since talking to Sarah about all this uh, old TV. My question of the week is, what was your favorite Snick at Night show? So I know I'm talking to a certain group in the population. <laughs> if you're like me and you grew up watching Snick, oh man, there's Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, Real Monsters. Oh, The Secret World of Alex Mack. So many great shows. Kenan and Kel. Oh, man, I, the list goes on. So what was your favorite Snick at Night show? I may have to do a Twitter poll for this one. Send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com or any of Picturelock's social media pages, and I'll be sure to read your answer on the air next week. All music is done by Mike S. The Prophet 13. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.